Live from our man caves in Hawaii and Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem, Poopus, and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, boys. Happy Monday. This is Blem, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of MLS Gone Wild. Welcome back for another episode of, you know what it is, MLS Gone Wild with your boy Poopus. It's your boy Mike D. Welcome back. It's been a great weekend. Had pizza for dinner. Ready to get this episode going. Boys, how are we feeling? Uh, I'm feel, feeling good. I had, well. some, I had some chipotle chicken and shrimp pasta. And let me tell you, I'm very full. But haven't I ate love, dinner yet. Haven't ate dinner yet. So it's I mean, due to come. What, it's 3.11 p.m. Hawaii time? Yeah, some, some hot stuff like that. And not quite dinner time. What are you going to have? I got some pork ribs in the oven. Oh, health is wealth, baby. Hey, I mean, I'm not working out, so got to get it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think we're all slacking in that department. Other than Mike, <laughs> Mike D's shredding pounds left and right right now. <laughs> all right, guys. So like they both said, welcome back to MLS Gone Wild. We're happy to have you guys here. Thanks to everyone who continues to listen and supports the podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already done so. You guys can follow and interact with us on social media at MLS Gone Wild on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you guys have social media. We're there. We would love to begin to take more fan questions. Big news coming this week, though. Thanks to Tom at MLS Aces, we have landed our first legit sponsorship with Added Time Outfitters. Details and promo code for their soccer-inspired wristbands coming later in this episode. So stay tuned. And tonight's podcast, we'll be recapping the MLS's back semifinals previewing the finals between Orlando City and Portland. And we're also going to outline the MLS's plans to return to play in the local markets starting this next Wednesday. Guys, we're 50 matches in. And at this point, a month into the MLS's back tournament, we have one game left. We're waiting for that finale on Tuesday night between the host and quotes host because they're really not, you know, uh, they're, they're in the bubble. Orlando City and the Portland Timbers. We've seen blowouts, we've seen comebacks, we've seen surprises, we've seen disappointments. Lads, what has been your favorite moment of the MLS's back tournament so far? I've said this on the last episode, and I'll say it again. Let's take it back to the hot, humid night in Orlando on July 28th, when Will Bruin came back from a year ACL injury and scored that goal for Seattle. It was yeah, it was a sad loss for Seattle because they got blown out pretty much by LAFC four to one. But what a memorable night for that man, Will Bruin, put away that goal. Woo, buddy, that's motivation for himself, and just to pretty much put more motivation for the team, saying that he's back, he's back and ready to pursue on the pitch. Yeah, Will Bruin is. Always exciting to watch and to see that. That was that's a good one there, Poopus. I do I did enjoy it to see that myself, especially coming on scoring as quickly as he did. For me, I, I had to go back and look. I mean, with the amount of soccer we've watched in this past month or so, it's it's hard to remember. I mean, there's been a lot of good, there's been a lot of bad, and there's uh there's there's been a, a lot of things that I can't remember, <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> a lack of a better thing. Um, but I, I did go back to one specific moment, and you always want to see that moment that really makes you think, 
this is sports. And for me, going back and looking at some of these games, the one for me was Kevin Molino in the 97th minute scoring the game-winning goal against Sporting Kansas City after trailing for, I believe, most of that game. They score their first goal in the first minute of stoppage time. And five or six minutes later, Kevin Molino puts the game away with no time left on the clock. And that, for me, you know, it gives you chills when you watch something like that. You think that the game's over, and then in a matter of minutes, there's a new, there's a new team that's, that's walking away with the W. So that, for me, was the moment of the, the tournament thus far. Yeah, that was definitely an amazing moment. To get back to you, Poopus, and your boy, Will Brew, and we touched on him last podcast, and I talked a little bit about how I was a big fan of him when he was in Indiana, and I've always been a big fan, and, you know, being somebody that's had to come back from an ACL injury and try to work your way back into a field. For me, I play D3 soccer, so there's levels to this stuff, as they would say, and he worked his way back after having, a, you know, what for some people would consider a career-ending injury and coming back and scoring in his – you know, basically his debut uh, in his 2020 campaign, scoring off of an absolutely beautiful early cross from Jovan Jones on the left-hand side, off the crossbar, down goal time. There are teams in this league that are looking for a striker and looking for a striker of that caliber. He's very talented. He's multifaceted. He can do a lot of different things. He can play the false nine. He, he, he can do a lot of things up top for a team. He's big. He can win balls in the air. And, you know, we, we've seen what he can do with his feet as well. So going forward, you know, I know they have Raul Rui Diaz, Seattle does, up top. Um, I'm not sure if there's anybody above Will Bruin on the depth chart. But I think Will Bruin, I know he's bounced around a lot. He's been with Houston. I don't know who else he's been with off the top of my head. But he's been with a couple of different teams. I think that Will Bruin could be a player that's, that's on the move. And Poopas, I'm glad you brought him up. Will Bruin doesn't really get talked about enough. So I'm glad for the past two podcasts we've been able to talk about, you know, a striker that flies under the radar that could really uh, be a, an asset for a lot of other teams in the league that are looking for a striker. And to touch on Mike Delaney's point with uh, Kevin Molino, that's hot boy. That's, that's Mr. Orlando himself, you know, former Orlando City player. We just saw him get bounced by Orlando. I was, you know, I'm going to touch on it a little bit later in the podcast, but he came in in the 58th minute in their, in their um, semifinal loss to Orlando. And he absolutely changed the game in the middle. He had the freedom to roam in the midfield. Granted, I was working during the game, so I only got small bits and pieces. But every time I looked at the TV in the second half, he was running the game, especially they were coming from behind. So Orlando was kind of sitting back, letting him do it. And Kevin Molino looked like the most dangerous player on the pitch and scoring the 97th minute to, uh, to beat Sporting Kansas City. Uh, I think that was their opening game of the tournament. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, he was a, a big part of the run for uh, Minnesota. You know, Ike Parra was gone, so he was a very integral part. And I think going forward, he's going to continue to be an integral part of that team. So, you know, unfortunately, I believe he had some hamstring issues in, this, in the tournament. He missed, I believe, at least one game. And that could be why he got subbed on so late uh, because of, you know, health issues or hamstring issues. But I think both of those players that you guys just highlighted are Kevin Molino isn't quite as underrated as Will Bruin, but um, both of those are Poopas, great player. Mike D, great moment. 
for me, guys, I think it would be a disservice if we did not talk about what happened prior to the first game against Inter-Miami and Orlando City. I have the Black Lives Matter t-shirt on right now from Nordeca and the Columbus crew. Prior to the opening game against Inter-Miami and Orlando City, black players for all 24 teams that were in the tournament stood with their fists held high for eight minutes and 46 seconds, representing the murder, the unjust murder of George Floyd. On top of that, the black players in the MLS initiated a group, Black Players for Change, uh, and basically their goal is to elevate and amplify the black voices of the MLS and black communities across the country. That was a powerful moment, made a lot of people feel uncomfortable, but it's, you know, it's, it's something that everybody needs to do, and it's being uncomfortable is where we need to be. That is, that is driving change, is being uncomfortable and educating yourself um, and starting to feel comfortable with um, being uncomfortable, you know, just initiating change. I thought that was a really, really big moment. For me, that's a global moment of the tournament. For me, I think the moment of the tournament was, uh, what's his name, Jordan Harvey for LAFC, missing his penalty kick. Uh, Orlando beat LAFC, and the biggest shocker of the MLS's back tournament, Orlando beats LAFC 5-4 on PKs after, one, after drawing 1-1. Uh, after 90 minutes, Jao Matinho scored in the 90th minute to send the game into PKs. There's no, there's, you know, there's no extra time. There's no overtime. They don't get that 30 minutes extra. They go straight to PK. So Jao Matinho equalized in the 90th. Huge moment. And especially to beat a team, you know, despite they didn't have Carlos Vela, LAFC didn't. But they are the defending Supporter Shield winners. And to lose to a team that's never even qualified for the MLS Cup playoffs, and they honestly, looking at it, they haven't finished any higher than seventh in the Eastern Conference. To me, that's what this whole tournament has been about. It's been about surprises, and I think that, to me, was one of the biggest surprises of the entire tournament. Like Mike Delaney was saying earlier, you know, thinking back on this whole tournament, we, you know, four months ago, we didn't even know that we were going to have this month of games uh, you know, especially in the form that we've had. And it's like we touched on our last podcast. It's been so successful in the bubble. Early on, some of the games were not so fun to watch. The 9 a.m. games weren't as entertaining as the late night games. Um, but overall, the, the quality of play has really gotten better over time, over this last month. And, you know, it, it's, it's been really, really enjoyable to watch. I'm going to be sad to see it be done on Tuesday but we pick back up where we left off starting Wednesday with FC Dallas and Nashville in Dallas. So guys, before we go any further, let's, let's hop into the semifinals. Like I said, I didn't get a chance to really watch those games due to some work obligations, but last Tuesday and Wednesday, we saw the two semifinal matches. We saw Portland defeat Philadelphia two to one and Orlando defeat Minnesota three to one to reach the finals. What were your guys' thoughts on those two semifinal games? Well, the first thing for Philadelphia, having a, like Mike D has said before, even before we started, even, even before our pod, saying Santos, his PK. So that was a big, big, big trouble spot for Philadelphia right there on choosing him to take that PK. Yeah, I mean, coming into this game, Portland, in my opinion, was was a little bit more favored. I think he, I was looking at the statistics of it, and on paper, if you didn't watch the game, you might go back and say, well, Philadelphia should have won this game. But 
from everything that I saw, Portland really had the quality chances. And scoring early like they did with the Abobasi header off the corner from, I believe it was Diego Valeri, in the 13th minute, Philly was constantly chasing this game. And when you're constantly chasing the game and you are a team like Philly has been shown to be so far in this tournament, they, they struggle a bit to create some of those chances and continue to create chances. And when you can't do that and you're playing a quality team, an experienced team like Portland, you, you're, you're not going to have much success. And especially when you decide to allow Sergio Santos to take a PK, I get it. He was riding a little bit of a, a wave with some goals prior to this game, but the man, according to, you know, his, his professional career and some of these records, I don't believe he's ever taken a PK. So a little bit of a questionable decision on my part. Um, but I, I just think Philly, they, they just couldn't, they, they couldn't catch a break. They, while they seem to be right there with Portland statistically, Portland really kind of ran off with the game early and, and continued to, to chip away at them. Yeah. And honestly, we get, we get distracted now by the, you know, LAFC and, you know, the, the big name teams, Atlanta, even though Atlanta disappointed, we really, we get distracted by those teams and we forget about the teams that have been consistent and we forget about the teams that have, you know, have been together for quite some time and teams that really, are deep and that's that's something that we highlighted before coming into this tournament teams you know that's one of the things that you need to be successful in this is depth and in saying that Portland is a team that is so talented that has really star players and Diego Valeri and Sebastian Blanco on top of many other players Jeremy Abobasi who's got four Blanco has three, by the way. But a team like that that has stars literally all over the field that teams across the MLS would love to have, for them to be able to adjust and be willing and to be humble enough to sit in like they did in their last game against Philly. You know, they scored the early goal. And after scoring the early goal, it's like, all right, well, we know that we're talented enough that we can sit in, absorb all the pressure, have a couple blocks of four, and run on the break. And that's what they did. Sebastian Blanco, I know he usually plays – you know, he's usually the 10 for that team. Him and Valeri are kind of interchangeable in that midfield, uh, at least from what I've seen. And Blanco kind of, he, he moved out to the right and everything went through Blanco in the second half. And that's the only part of the game that I saw was the second half, unfortunately. But Sebastian Blanco absolutely ran the game from the right side of the pitch. All on the counterattack. Everything was a counter, especially after the first goal. I didn't see the first goal, but everything after that was a counter. Sat in made Philadelphia feel really, really uncomfortable. Philadelphia doesn't have any guys. You know, we've talked a lot about Brendan Aronson, but Philly doesn't really have a guy that's, you know, is incredibly dangerous. And some of the critique that we've had about Brendan Aronson is his movement off of the ball. And sometimes he moves too much. And when he moves too much, he literally moves to another defender. And over these past couple games and knockout stages, I know Brendan Aronson has been hyped. There's a lot of connections to the Bundesliga. I, I don't know if he's cut out for it. I don't know if he's everything that we made him out to be. Yes, he's a good he's a good U.S. player, a good young U.S. player. But the more I watch him, granted, he was playing against Diego Chara, one of the best sixes in the MLS, who is legitimately going to lock you down. But even not against him, against these other teams that they were playing, you know, 
the game needs to come to him. Alejandro Bedoya said it in one of their recent podcasts where it's literally their job to find him, not for him to go find the ball. They're going to find him. If you want to make the big bucks and go play in the Bundesliga, you got to let the game come to you sometimes, kid. And when the ball gets to you, then it's your time to make the play. He does not look like he can't make – he's not making – other than the ball that he had and I think it was the, you know, the round of eight game where he uh, did a little half turn in between two defenders after peeking his shoulder and then playing in the, the dime pass, uh, whatever his name is, um, the guy that missed the penalty kick. Um, other than that, like, he doesn't receive – when a team sits in and is compact, he doesn't look dangerous whatsoever. And when you go over to Germany and in the Bundesliga, the competition is going to be heightened. And I honestly don't think that he's ready for that. Ooh, tell him how you feel, Chuck. The guy's coming out with the passion. I, yeah. I, mean, I, I agree. I, I'd love to, to see it. Um, you do watch him. And something that you said that stood out to me was when teams sit in and they create those, those blocks of four and there's small spaces in between the back line and the midfield. There's, there's an area there where you can get a ball and you can't turn, but that space is going to close down real quick. And like you said, Philly doesn't really have that, that killer. They want him to be that killer, and maybe he will be. You know, maybe it's a, little, it's a little early and he needs a little bit more time, but he, in my opinion, I, I, I agree with you that not only does he need to get more touches, but he needs to be a little bit more dangerous and maybe be a little bit more patient. Yeah, the most dangerous that I saw him all tournament, I forget which game it was, but it's something that he does pretty frequently, and it's it's been highlighted on a couple of different um, highlight Twitter pages that uh, highlight the U.S. men's national team, excuse me, young players. But when one of Philadelphia's wingers gets the ball, so whether it's Bedoya outright or whoever their left mid is, whenever they get the ball, he starts out centrally and makes that diagonal run to the corner. And that is – that has made him – that hasn't made him. That's when he's looked the most dangerous throughout this tournament, not when he's receiving the ball centrally and turning and dispersing the ball and being the playmaker. But – and that's – and this is kind of to my point. Like, he's going to find the game. And he's uncomfortable receiving the ball, I believe, and what it looks like in the middle of the park. So he's making those runs out of the middle. Granted, it's creating space for someone else. But he's leaving the middle of the pitch where he needs to be as a 10 and being that playmaker and being a resource and having guys find him there to then play off of him. But he's abandoning that and then making the diagonal runs to the corner, which are great. But honestly, when you're in that position and you're being – given as much credit as you're being given getting ready to go to the Bundesliga I need to see more from you in the center of the pitch because that's where you're going to earn your money in the Bundesliga they're they're not they're they're it's a different world over there in Germany you make and run to the corners just so you can get touches on the ball is not going to cut it in the Bundesliga you got to be comfortable in the middle of the pitch good player not ready for the Bundesliga I mean who knows you might you might change your mind when the this play comes back after this MLS's back tournament, so yeah, and I compare and them, I, compare them to compare them to. I mean, obviously Pulisic went to the EPL, but you know the Bundesliga is, is no slight of competition. So I think that when you talk about players that leave the MLS to go and and play in in different parts of the world and top tier, you know, um, leagues in the world. 
I mean, you think about Christian Pulisic, you think about Alfonso Davies. I mean, you watched Alfonso Davies before he left and he was absolutely tearing it up. Absolutely tearing it up. Christian Pulisic, I mean, never really, he didn't play in the MLS, but I mean, he played, he went immediately from the United States to play with uh, Borussia Dortmund. And then he went to the, the, the EPL to play with Chelsea, where we've seen him kind of blossom and then unfortunately get hurt. But we haven't seen that from, from Brendan Aronson. We've seen flashes, but we haven't seen that explosive, oh, my God, this kid's going to go places. And I think what it comes down to, Mike D, what you were just saying is we've seen the flashes. We've seen the moments, like I touched on. We've seen the half turn when he peaked his shoulder and then played the, the diagonal ball to split the defenders to get an assist. Look, it looked great. I hyped them up. I tweeted about it. I was ecstatic. I was like, it's the best U.S. men's national team midfielder we've ever seen. But the more you think about it, you have to see those things consistently. And, and that's, that's the real difference here is we see moments which are great, but we got to turn those moments into in, in every game. There has every, all 90 minutes has to be a moment, especially when you're going to that kind of stage. You know, Grant, he can go over there. He, he may come off the bench as a sub or something. Um, but in order to step on that pitch as a starter in a league over the pond, you have to be consistent with your performances. Granted, and saying all this, I'm not bashing Brendan Aronson. I still do think he is a wonderful, exciting, young U.S. men's national team prospect and player. Uh, I think um, I, I think that he will eventually be a difference maker for the U.S. men's national team in saying that he is still very young. So my criticisms are uh, probably going to come back to bite me in the ass because as he gets older, he's going to develop these things and he's going to get more comfortable. I know he's a good player. And if he's an elite player, he will get comfortable. And I hope I get to see that. I hope we get to see him in the midfield with Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and those guys for the U.S. men's national team. All right, so let's get off that soapbox of Brendan Aronson. Uh, best of luck to the kid. We look forward to seeing him come back. They're, they play the Columbus crew in the first phase of games back. So we'll definitely all be tuning into that game. But let's quickly talk about the Orlando and Minnesota game. Orlando defeated Minnesota 3-1 to one to make it to their first final in their five-year MLS uh, career. What did you guys think about that game? What stood out? That, was all, that, game was all, that game was all Nani, hands down, all Nani. That man was uh, pretty much a terror to reckon with for that Minnesota defense. Yeah. The Nani show was definitely in full effect. Definitely, that's for sure. Maybe that, that's for sure. Maybe that should be our segment. But anyway, you know, the, the Loons came out. The Loons came out, and they wanted to press early. They wanted to make Orlando uncomfortable, which is probably the right move. Uh, you don't want Nani to get into a rhythm. You don't want Chris Mueller to get into a rhythm. And they tried it, but quickly – it was it was broken by you know big balls you know that played out of the back and, and crosses and switching to the field the first one that we saw huge ball from the back from from I think his name's Johansson and yeah. it was a, it was a beauty I mean this ball was played from literally right outside of the 18 in Orlando's half to the other 18 in Minnesota's half Nani takes it down. Beautiful first touch in the run of play. He battles Dotson and finishes it very nicely 
to put them up and it was fantastic. Yeah, it, it was absolutely beautiful. And then moments later, he gets another ball from Mendez and just does a little move. No pressure applied to him. You can't let a guy like that get space to, to do what he did. And he just puts in a beautiful curler in the back of the net. And this game was, this game was all Orlando. So let me ask you guys a question. Both of you guys are talking about Nani. Yeah, I agree. Best player on that pitch, easily, by a mile. Scored a brace. Both goals great in their own regard. Which goal was better? Well, I'll go first since Poop is muted. Um, for me, I think that the first goal was better. To, the, to, to receive a ball out of the air with a defender on you, and get that first touch right with the right pace going forward towards goal and then finish it, battling that defender is absolutely top notch. The second goal was ease. It's, that's, that's training right there. I mean, that's, that's what you do when you guys go out to the field, you know, you're kicking the ball. Around. I mean, he hit, the guy wasn't even pressing him. No, I wasn't even pressing him. He had like five yards in front of him. He literally did a quick little move, created a little bit of space, found the back of the net. I mean, so yeah, it was a beautiful goal, great finish, but the first ball, quality. I mean, if you leave Nani that open for that shot, that curler, that sexy curler in the back of the net, you expect Nani to finish that shit right off the bat anyways. His background in Portugal alone, you expect him to do that. And I agree with Mike D. That first goal was just absolutely beautiful. That, that over-the-top ball by Janssen and that first touch, like Mike D said, woo, baby. That, shit, that was some hot stuff right there. Adrian yeah. was actually very upset about that. He, he came out and, and talked about it and said that he enjoyed Nani's second goal better, which I was, a, I was a little kind of shocked about. But I understood what he was saying. I mean, when a ball's played out of the back like that and you have a defender on you, you got to do better. You got to do better. You got to you, uh, play against a player like Nani. You either got to foul him or you got to win the ball. Right. And, and that's the thing. I, I asked you guys the question because, like I said, they were both great goals in, in their own regard. But I know the first goal, he was under one to one pressure, guys all over him. As the kids would say, it was sweaty. It was a sweaty goal. He had to work his ass to score that goal just to get a poke to put it in the goal. Second goal, give the guy five yards of space, he's going to capitalize. He can get it done both ways, and I said at the beginning of the tournament, big players are going to make big plays, and they're going to win you games, and Orlando is riding high on Nani. Dom Dwyer's out. They got Tesho up top, Chris Mueller outright. Uh, what's his name? Pereira in the midfield? Pereira? Yeah. Pereira in the midfield is their number 10, their new DP signing. John Matinho looking great. Mike D was high on him. My guy. Or yeah, Orlando looked great. Nani's carrying them, though. Nani is going to have a sore back. They need to have at least a week off after earning this million uh, after they win this tournament. That's uh, it's my not-so-early prediction. We'll get into predictions in a minute. But we've talked about Orlando. I was on my soapbox about Brendan Aronson in Philadelphia. I also want to get on my soapbox about Minnesota for a second. I know they beat my beloved crew. They've proven, you know, they, they beat Sporting Kansas City in the 97th minute with the Kevin Molino goal. They, like I said, they, they beat a very, very good Columbus crew team, and that's not the bias speaking. They're one of the most deep teams in the league, one of the best teams in the league. Their attack looks like shit, okay? Aaron Schoenfeld is not a striker. 
He, he literally legitimately should be playing in the USL somewhere. You can find USL players to replace him. The story of this game to me, outside of Nani, the second best player that was on this pitch came in in the 58th minute. We talked about him earlier. Kevin Molino, hot boys, playing against his old team in Orlando. He was the best player on the pitch, came in 58th minute, uh, had an assist to Mason Tolway, who also came in in the 58th minute, but he gave the assist to Mason in the 83rd minute to then cut the lead two to one. And at that point, Minnesota looked dangerous until Benji Michelle scored that goal in whatever minute it was, one to one against the goalkeeper, um, the, the young defender for Orlando. But for me, Adrian Heath came out all week. Oh, we're the underdogs. You know, everybody's counting us out. My man, let me tell you something. By not playing Kevin Molino and Mason Foy, you counted yourself out. You play those guys when they're healthy for the duration of that game until they can't run anymore, you might be up two to one and not find yourself in this spot. So this whole narrative that Adrian Heath was uh, giving off to the media and everything like that, absolute joke. I get that it's a, a, a motivational piece for your team. And to me, it's really almost a scapegoat because it's almost like, oh, if we lose, they already counted us out. Get the hell out of here. You guys aren't as good as you think you are. Um, I wish them the best when they go back. I just saw a tweet before I got on here uh, saying they were excited. Um, only thing I'm excited for about that team is Ja'Cory Hayes since we had him on here for a podcast. But Kevin Molino is your best player. You've got to play the guy if you really want to win. You guys haven't won a trophy since you've been in the league. You know, you guys are finally good. You guys got good last year. You guys look okay right now. You look really good with Ike Parra. But then you come in here and you paint the story like, oh, you kicked my dog, you know. Uh, we're the underdogs. Get the hell out of here with that, Adrian Heath. Go out there, play your players, win the game. Aaron Schoenfield isn't the answer. Wow. A lot of emotion in that one. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm gonna go back and and I'm gonna say that I think I disagree with you, Chuck. I think Minnesota is good. Okay. I think Minnesota is good. I think Minnesota's not getting a lot of credit, especially from the Blem Dog. I mean, we've seen them prove to be a team that can adjust. They're doing it without Icopara. I think you forgot to mention your boy Ethan Finley, and I think that if if they do play Kevin Molino, they got to play Toy. If they don't. Taylor Twelman said it. You either play him or you get rid of him. I yeah. mean, you got to play your players that are gonna that are gonna get you a result. And while they did a great job in the tournament, tournament plays a little bit different than the regular season. And while I think that there are some adjustments, obviously Molino probably was dealing with that injury a little bit, and he was probably trying to keep him healthy for future play. But you know, when when you it's it's a tough call there, but I don't I don't know because I wasn't there. I don't know how seriously injured he was. I mean, maybe it was just precaution, but he seemed to look fine when he was out there. So I mean, he played that beautiful through ball to Toy, absolutely filthy, great vision. I mean, you want to win the game, like you said, you got to play the guys that are going to get you that result. Y'all want to win? Put Booby in. Right, I'm not, and I'm not saying Minnesota United's a bad team. You know, they're they're one of the top teams in the West. I, they actually might be sitting atop the table after winning uh, some of their group stage games. They came in with three wins coming into the tournament. So obviously, you know, they're they're not a bad team. But when you come into this tournament and you are, like you said, you're able to adjust and you look good when you have your key players in. But then 
you know, Molino goes down and they start painting this narrative like, oh, Adrian Heat starts painting this this picture. It's like, oh, well, you know, everybody's writing us off. So if we lose, oh, well. Um, I, I hope the loons don't come back with that attitude. I hope they don't come back in the regular season play with the attitude of, oh, we're the underdogs. No, you guys are top of your conference. You guys need to come out there with confidence. You need to play your players. You need to play to win. And this, was an, and this was an opportunity for them to win their first trophy, like it is for a couple of other teams here. That's exactly. Especially just something that you said. If you, as a player, see that your coach is, is painting this picture of you, you start to think maybe in the back of your mind, well, well shit, maybe, maybe he doesn't maybe. have maybe he doesn't have the confidence that that we are a good team. And you turn that that coin on its, its flip side there, and you look at Orlando, and you look at where Orlando has been since joining the league, where they've gone, where they haven't gone, the playoffs, and what happens when Oscar Pereja comes in and changes the culture of that team brings a new confidence. I mean, this team looks so much different. They look confidence is only building defensive end is looking better. They're looking more sound. It's, I mean, you, that's, that's, that's what you have to do as a, as a leader of your team. Yeah. I didn't mean to go down this Avenue, but you know, this is, this is where we're at, but you know, Oscar Preha painted a different picture. You know, he was basically, he basically ran the FC Dallas Academy team and brought it to greatness and to fruition and a couple of different teams, in the MLS and just the way that he has taken a team that was down and out has never finished above seventh has never made the playoffs and their five or six or whatever the years are season since 2015, since they've been in the league and has now taken them in this such an uncertain circumstance has taken them to a final and gives them an opportunity to win their first championship, a million dollars and a 2021 CONCACAF Champions League birth. Like, hold on, let's, let's sit here and just, I'm going to say something. And if it, if it sticks and it comes to fruition in a year, I'm going to take this and post it. All right. So let's say Orlando wins this. Okay. Portland's won. Portland is also an expansion team, but they won. They had Caleb Porter as well. That's on the Columbus crew coach. They won in 2015. Poopus and I were there. It was disgusting. Um, but imagine if, Orlando wins this, okay? Imagine they win the 2020 inaugural MLS is back tournament among, amidst the coronavirus. And in 2021, somehow they go out and make a run in the 2021 CONCACAF Champions League. Imagine that. Imagine they make a run and imagine they win. And then imagine looking back on that and seeing how important this tournament actually was for a team like Orlando. And that's me just talking myself into a circle and then coming back to connect it and tie it into a knot. Um, but that that would go and show the importance of it. Coming from a team, like I said, that's never done anything to a team that's now in the biggest, um, you know, North American tournament that there is in men's professional soccer. Hot takes, Chuck, hot takes. Yeah, I think I'm I'm on one tonight, guys. I've I've been on one all weekend, and I'm on one now. It's that magical uh, whiteboard he has on the sideline, though. That's what it is. He's yeah, playing he's play checkers out there. Yeah, he's playing he's playing chess, and everybody else is playing checkers, man. Ooh, nice. You like that? I like that? That was quick. 
<laughs> All right, guys. So tomorrow, August 11th, a month, a month after returning to play, the MLS is back tournament winner will be crowned. The winner will earn, like I just said, upwards of a million dollars in prize money and a spot in the 2021 CONCACAF Champions League. Tomorrow, we see Orlando City look to earn their first trophies of club as they play 2015 MLS Cup champs, Portland Timbers, and the MLS is back tournament. I know we just talked about both of those teams and some of their strengths, but guys, give me score lines and give me reasons why. I am going to say two to one Portland. This guy lives inside my head. And I think <laughs> swear to God. Because yeah, Diego Valeri is a huge part for them, but they have key pieces all around him that can actually turn up and show up for Portland themselves. Like you see a Bubasi and you see Sebastian Blanco. They've been showing up. Yeah, I know all eyes have been on Diego Valeri for Portland so far, but this all comes back to Savarese, too, their head coach. That man, his emotions on the sideline, and he knows his team chemistry, and he actually respects his team. And they all work together, hands down. And they know how to work together. Even bring in, like, keep, like different key parts during the season or maybe, like, bring a new player in, they still know how to keep that chemistry. And it, I think it all starts with Severise himself. Yeah, you bring in a guy, and you bring in a guy like Chris Duvall, who's bounced around team to team, who we've had on this podcast before. Shout out to Chris Duvall and Portland Timbers. And you plug him in. He's not even supposed to be a starter as a, as a wing back, as an outside back. And he has taken that job um, and absolutely ran with it. He looks like one of the best outside backs in this tournament as a guy that's bounced around the MLS. And like you said, that says a lot about Savarese as a coach and the trust that he gives his players and the style of game that they play. And I think all the players are confident and they know that they have quality all around that pitch. And like from the start, Portland wasn't even supposed to make the final MLS's back tournament. Neither was Orlando. Every, everybody was talking so much shit about their defense because they didn't have any any backups, any good, good like high-quality backups. But, I mean, Chris, Chris DeVall has, you know – Made that made that comment complete ass shit to be to be honest. So Portland Portland's a hot team right now, and I don't expect them to lose this game at all. Yeah, in some ways, you you might even say that Portland kind of flew under the radar into this final with what you said, Blake, a little bit ago. We we tend to lose sight of some of these veteran teams throughout the MLS, and while Orlando is riding away right now they are a new look Orlando I think that they look fantastic I have high hopes for them leaving this tournament they're going up against a veteran Portland Timbers team we talk about Diego Valeri and Diego Chara who are two of the best players in their positions arguably in the MLS history so you talk about these guys running in the midfield against Orlando's young team, right? They have to, they have to be able to do something different because Portland has been here before Portland has, has, I mean, 2015, they won, they went to the 2018 MLS playoff. They lost. And we're talking about something like seven of the 11 starters from that 2018 team are still playing on that team today and are going to go out on that field on Tuesday and play against Orlando. So Orlando looks great, and they've proven a lot of people wrong. This is a new challenge. I get it. 
I get it. But I don't know. I think Poopa said 2-1. That was my original thought. I think this is going to be a low-scoring game because I think that because Orlando and Portland haven't seen each other a whole lot competitive-wise, they haven't played each other a whole lot, that they're going to be a little bit more reserved in what they do out of the gate. I think teams might tend to sit in, tend to be a little bit more reserved. And so I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. And I'm changing my score because I don't want to always say what Poopa says. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go one zero Portland. And, all, and also you got to think about Portland's goalkeeper, Steve Clark. He has, he, that's a veteran himself right there. He has plenty of experience in MLS playoffs and, you know. He had seven but, last game in that last game that they just played against, uh, I think it was Philly, right? Yes. Yeah. Seven saves. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's another – hey, I might be wrong again. Hey, sometimes, guys, I, it looks like sometimes that Steve Clark has drank a 24-pack of Budweiser before going in the goal, <laughs> if you ask me. <laughs> I've seen him with the crew, and we we saw the penalty kick that he gave up against FC Cincinnati. I mean, I don't I don't know what the guy's doing sometimes. He, he makes some really questionable saves or some questionable plays uh, back there on the – inside the 18. But that's just me. So, Mike Delaney, you said they haven't played each other a whole lot. I do have some numbers here. So, Orlando City actually leads this series with a record of 3-1-1. One, and one. So, three wins over Portland. They played each other one. five times. Okay. But, look, I know it's a small sample size. But Orlando has beat them three times and have only lost once. They've scored ten goals and given up seven since Orlando came in in 2015. Both teams have taken at least a point from the uh, previous Supporter Shield winners, LAFC. Orlando beat them uh, in, in penalty kicks, and Portland tied them. Hey guys, I'm going to give you a hot take. I'm going to say numbers don't lie, like the ball don't lie. Okay, Orlando's hot. This is a tournament. It's different. Feels different. Look different. Orlando won the last. What was the score of their last game against Minnesota? Three to one. Yeah, three one. Give me a repeat of that. Orlando three, Portland one. Ooh. Hold on, but last time you and Mike D chose LAFC over Orlando, and who took Orlando that game? I did. So you hey, have no man. trust in them either. Hey, it's not. I I do now. I've seen them more. The more I see, the better I feel. It's yeah, if you only have two teams to choose from. That's why. <laughs> I only they, they can only play one team at a time. I only ever have two choices. So, Poopus, if you want to jump on this Orlando bandwagon with me one more time, here I am with open arms. No, nope. I'm I'm staying with Portland for this one. All right, let me let, let me write down my hot take. My pen isn't quite working. Veterans are taking this one, Chuck. These boys are hungry for a trophy. Amen. But I guess Orlando also is hungry for a trophy too. And you know what? You said they've they've put each other five times. They haven't played this Orlando team. They haven't played this Orlando team. So we'll see what happens. No, they haven't. And something I talked about early in the podcast, big players are going to make big plays and they're going to win you big games. Guys, we know that I was right about the Diego Rossi golden boot thing. If it all goes through, I just have to keep reminding you, he's not going to win the tournament MVP. Okay, the MVP is probably going to come from somebody within this game that we're getting ready to watch on Tuesday between Orlando and Portland. For you guys, who is your MVP? I'm, I'm, Captain obvious. I'm going first because poop is, it lives inside my head. <laughs> but don't worry. I'm not going to say Nani right off the bat. So 
I do agree. I think that it's going to come. Honestly, it's it's got to come from one of the winners. I mean, and I think even if Orlando doesn't win, I think that Nani still probably will win it just because that's the way the MLS makes decisions about their MVPs and about their man of the matches and all this stuff. But for me, Sebastian Blanco. Sebastian Blanco is my guy. This guy is an engine. He's all over the place, creates chances, scores goals. He's got, what is it, three goals, five assists on the tournament? Yep. The man's special. Well, you know, son of a belly goat, Mike D, because that's what I was going to say, too. I was going to say Blanco, but you know what? I'll have to choose somebody else now. But, you know, I guarantee you Blum's going to choose Nani because he always, you know, picks the obvious, most obvious out of everybody. Of course. But I will take – I'm going to take Diego Valeri for this one. It's his time to shine for this last game, and he's going to take this shit for Portland. I know that's kind right. of obvious for Portland side, but I'll take him because, you know, since Mike D wants to, you know, bust my balls and pick Sebastian Blanco. <laughs> Listen, you could still take Blanco. I mean, I just – I had to get the first word out. That's all. I want to make a mix – a mixer <laughs> in this group right here. Let's pop. make a mixer. <laughs> All right, so I'd be lying to you guys if I said that I didn't also think Sebastian Blanco was going to win the MVP of the MLS's back tournament. Like we said, it's going to be based off of who wins. If Orlando wins, it's going to be Nani. If Portland wins, there's kind of a mixed bag, though, to be honest with you. Sebastian Blanco has looked like their most dangerous player. Diego Valeri, obviously big name, doesn't quite have the numbers of Sebastian Blanco so far in this tournament. Somebody to look out for. I know we talked about him earlier still being in the race for the Golden Boot. Jeremy Abobasi. Okay. Jeremy Abobasi's got four goals. And against an Orlando team that we've been really stunned by. Uh, I know I picked Orlando to win three to one, but if somehow, not not if somehow, if Portland wins that game, I think Jeremy Abobasi is going to have a goal or two. Um, and he's going to have a say about the the difference in that game. So I want to say Sebastian Blanco, but for the records, let's put me down for Jeremy Abobasi. And also, who knows? This game could go to PKs, and we could have that. We could have Mr. Blackout himself, Steve Clark, win the MVP <laughs> for this game. Let, so. I got him, so. let let me see Steve Clark take a penalty kick. Let me see it get that. <laughs> I almost I almost took my scoreline to one one, and then. Portland winning on PKs, but I didn't have a prediction for what they would win in PKs by. So if yeah. I'm going with my heart. That's what I would like to say, but I'm sticking with my 1-0 Portland. All right. So Mike D's got 1-0 Portland. Poopus has got 2-1 Portland. And I, Blim, have 3-1 Orlando. But I'm contraindicating myself, and I have – or contradicting myself. I'm using big words. I shouldn't be. And I'm saying Jeremy Abobas, he's going to win MVP. So I really don't. I got a mixed bag of things I'm throwing at you guys. So just take it for what it is, all right? Don't listen, listen, I don't care. Listen, we're just a couple of guys being dudes, you know? That's it. I'm drinking a claw, being a guy. That's a dude. The couple swell dudes in this group right here. Swell dudes. Sweaty. Sweaty swell dudes. All right, guys. So as we stated in the intro of the podcast, we, MLS Gone Wild, and all of our other podcasts working with MLS Aces have partnered with Added Time Outfitters. Use our promo code, Gone Wild, all undercase, Gone Wild, no spaces, to get 10% off of your entire order of stickers and wristbands. Now, a message from our sponsors, Added Time Outfitters.
We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a Time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands that let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible, elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each At a Time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of At a Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at at a time outfitters. All right, guys. So we've talked about our predictions for this this final game on Tuesday between Orlando and Portland. We've talked a lot about this. We talked about it in detail. We've talked about how Portland has been an established team and they won in 2015 and they've always been a good team since entering the league. And especially since they've got Chara and Valeria, all these big pieces. And then you got a team like Orlando, who I feel like I'm repeating myself, but has never made the playoffs, has never finished above seventh in the East. How does this tournament that we've just seen for the past month, the past 50 games, how do these results that we have seen, you know, we've, we've seen Atlanta look like shit and not score a goal, lose all three games and go home right off the bat. We've seen San Jose, their system, their man-to-man marking system start to work. We've seen a lot of things that we don't usually see in a regular MLS season. Obviously, this hasn't been regular with COVID. How does this tournament translate into the regular season? I mean, this is – for some teams, actually, I think this this uh, whole tournament was a, like kind of an experiment for them just to see where they're at and see, like, the t- type of play. So I feel like they'll get a good understanding of how, like, the play style they actually want as, play, as the season resumes. So it just depends on what they want to do and – and then, like, the team, especially, like, doing really, really hot in this tournament, they know what works, but they can critique here pieces here and there to make them even better. Sorry, I was muted. I couldn't agree more with you, Poopus. That was spot on as this being kind of an experiment to see what is going to happen when the regular season does return, what's working, what's not working, how do you adjust, who are the good teams, who are the good players, things of that nature. So I definitely agree with you there. I think that if anything, something that's exciting about this tournament as it translates to the regular season is teams are going to be fired up now because you've gotten a little taste of, okay, well, this person, this team beat me and we tied that team and this person had gave me challenges on the left-hand side, whatever the case may be. I think that that is going to fuel a little bit of a fire for some of these teams like the Columbus Crew or Atlanta United or you know, New York City FC, your teams that you would expect to do well in this kind of a setting who maybe didn't do so well or teams that did do well, made it far and were knocked out by a team that maybe shouldn't have knocked them out. So I think that it's going to, I think that it's going to make the regular season more exciting. I agree. Uh, To highlight the differences between this and the regular season, I think that I'm comparing this to NCAA March Madness. Picking this tournament that we just watched over the past month, might picking a perfect bracket in this could be harder than picking a perfect March Madness bracket because you've seen those teams play a full season. 
The MLS, we've seen these guys play two games, so you really don't know who's who. You see, you see brand-new players come into a system, play two games, Chicharito, although he's been trashed. I mean, honestly, we really don't know what Chicharito has because he left the bubble early. So, like, even now, we really don't know. It's, it's, it's different. We have five subs per game. There's water breaks. There's adjustments made in-game. Like, this is such a different feel, and I think there's a lot of great things that the MLS can take away and apply to regular season play, such as the five subs. Like, I have absolutely zero problem with that. Uh, water breaks, I have a little bit of a problem, but I do like what it's offered us as a viewer. It's offered us an inside view of what's, what's actually going on. But I'm looking forward to watching this first week of games when teams actually have to travel and teams are playing at home. You know, there might not be fans. There might be 50% fans. There might be 10% fans. I don't know. But playing at home markets, I'm interested to see First of all, what it looks like. It's been five months since we've seen a team other than in the NWSL final play in the stadium, also the Bundesliga and the Premier League. But it just it feels different. It looks different. I like it. Um, the optics of MLS is back looked fine to me. I was completely okay with it. We all love and adore the game of soccer, so that's been fine. But I'm really interested to see how these teams like Orlando, especially Orlando, translates. I want to see – we saw Miami struggle. We saw Miami compete in their first two games in the regular season. I want to see Miami compete. We didn't, we've didn't. we seen only two games from Nashville. Now we've seen five from Miami, so we know a little bit more about them. But we really have no idea what we get with Nashville because they had to bounce out of this tournament early. So Lord knows what they could have done in Group A with six teams if they could have bounced out of that and, you know, made it to the knockout stages because they have an okay team. Uh, and – probably a better team that Inter Miami has, to be honest with you. So I'm most excited to see, I think, coming back is, is Nashville. And they actually play Wednesday in Dallas. And they're going to play two times in the first phase of games. So that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about seeing these teams that have been surprises to us. I, I would love to see San Jose's run continue. Something, that, there a yeah, something that I, I forgot to mention something that is in my opinion so brilliant we saw a little taste of it the decisions on var mm -hmm. the referees communicating back and forth from the booth to the monitor talking about the decision to be made i think is absolutely brilliant and i think that it should be applied going forward if it hasn't been already that's the only other thing that i can think of but i think to your point i i am excited to see Nashville and, and what they bring to the table as well. Yeah. And in that, in, in that regard, FC Dallas as well, FC Dallas is a really good team. And unfortunately Nashville, Nashville, I mean, we're excited to see them, but they could take two more L's straight off the straight off the bat against FC Dallas. Who's a well-established good Western conference MLS team. So we're, we're going to, we're going to learn a lot. Of, you know, and we've only seen for some teams five games for some teams like Dallas and Nashville only two. So like we talked about earlier when we were talking about Brendan Aronson and consistency versus moments, we need to see consistency from some of these teams that surprised us. You know, these teams are carrying over the points from the three group group stage games. So, uh, you know, that that counts. So let's let's see some consistency and what these teams are really about once they start getting into these games that are played in local markets. So guys, to talk about the MLS's plan to come back, 
you know, we're, we're all excited for it. We're, we just, we just talked about it a little bit, what we're looking forward to and how it translates. So I pulled this straight from the MLS, uh, MLS.com. So the revised schedule will see each team, they will play an additional 18 regular season games in a phased approach. As of right now, we only know the first phase. The first phase will consist of most teams playing six matches against regional opponents through September 14th. The exception to this is FC Dallas and Nashville FC, which we just talked about. They will play an additional three games to make up for those missed after they were drawn to the MLS's back tournament, which is a big question that I had coming into this tournament. How did they make up those games? It's got to be fair um, to, to those guys to try to make up those points. So I, I do like that plan. Flights and bus rides, day of game. 18 teams will make the playoffs, 10 from the east, 8 from the west. And so I know that seems a little wonky. Uh, it's not even. The bottom two from the east out of those 10 teams, they're going to play in a play-in game, and I believe the top seed will then get a bye. So then it will be four games um, in the first round of the playoffs in the east. As far as testing goes, players are going to be tested every other day uh, and the day before game days. and. In regards to fans, I know as of right now, FC Dallas is planning on having fans there. But from a statement that I saw Don Garber make was that, yes, the teams, if the local governments um, say it is okay for them to allow fans in, these teams need to work with their local health departments and establish a plan, uh, a safety protocol for fans to enter the stadiums, whether it's masks, I've seen something where they're requiring masks and encouraging face shields or goggles, something like that. But even after those teams establish those safety protocols and submit them to the MLS, the MLS ultimately has a decision whether or not to allow um, fans in those stadiums. So guys, we saw the bubble work perfectly. The NBA has already talked about starting an, a, another bubble to do the next part of their uh, tournament or even for next season because the, of the rising concerns and the uncertainty of the times that we're in right now. The bubble has been so successful. Outside of Nashville and Dallas, we haven't seen any positive cases in three and a half, four weeks now, probably four weeks since they left before the tournament started. What do you guys think? And I know the USL has been doing this. The USL has been playing in local markets with some fans there. What are your guys' thoughts on the MLS returning play and local markets. I mean, I like it. I like, I mean, I mean, who doesn't like their home team playing at their home stadium? So, but yeah, they're gonna have to take precautions of this whole COVID stuff. And I like, I mean, we haven't heard anything from Nashville or FC Dallas, you know, having positive cases since they've been in their home cities and stuff like that. So whatever, whatever they're doing, however they're quarantining, I feel like we need to, like, they need to follow the procedures too. Cause I feel like if these players are motivated to, motivated for the second half of the season and they want to keep this going, I feel like they're still, still got to do like a bubble themselves and not, you know, go out to like bars or restaurants and stuff like that. They're going to have to keep, keep the system the way it is in the bubble right now in Orlando. 100% Poopus. I was reading something on the, the protocols that the MLS is going to hold for the regular season as it returns and they had a doctor and I can't remember his name right now that reviewed the essentially the plan for what it was to be and he said that it sounded you know like it was a good plan and something that is so important is something that you just said which is they have to have the players being disciplined 
off of the field when they're not with the teams, you know, so not exposing themselves to really anything on the outside. When we're talking about the players playing games in the regular season, you know, I, I, I don't know if you had already mentioned it, Blake, but they're going to be doing the, the buses and the chartered flights and the, the chartered buses to, to and from games um, on the day of games for most of them. And what that does obviously is it eliminates the outside interaction going to hotels and being exposed to other people. So that's great, but discipline on the player side as well to limit the interaction that they have with, with people on the outside of the teams and things of that nature are going to be what proves this protocol is going to work. That being said, it may sound great. I think that they did a great job with the bubble for the MLS's back tournament. I would and I was hesitant about it as well, and I had my my thoughts about it, and I was proven wrong. So, you know, these, these are just my thoughts. But I think that when you're going from the bubble where you're in one place doing all of these different quarantine things and, and having these protocols and these tests to now we're playing in different stadiums. I know that they're going on chartered buses and they're going on chartered flights, but maybe see how that works a little bit before you start to think about bringing in fans. And Don Garber said, you know, we have to try. I, I read that somewhere that he's, you know, it's time to, the, we, we have to try a little bit. But I think, I think first you need to try playing in different areas, in different stadiums first with the players and that, and then go and start to reincorporate, reincorporate the fans. Yeah, so yeah, like uh, the first, like the first phase, like the six games, I feel like just, experiment without fans and see how that goes and if there's no there's no positive like outcomes positive tests all right just you know maybe 10 15 percent of you know of the fans bring them in and but that also goes back to you know i know there's like sanitizing stations and then people are going to want to tailgate and stuff like that so i know they might have to take that out but tell the first phase goes with no fans and if it works then just incorporate fans here and there and just add them in as time goes on and see how it works. And if it doesn't work out, then just take the fans back out and then just keep on keep on playing with no fans. Yeah, this is a, a multi-million dollar business that we're talking about, fellas. And, you know, Don Garber's saying that we have to try. That's not coming from his mouth. He's feeling a lot of pressure from the owners who are losing a lot of money for not playing games in their local markets. So there are these big market teams that really want to open their stadium back up, even if it's just a little bit. But guys, I have a question for you. I know that, like I said earlier, we all love soccer. We all want to watch it. It's been great to see it back on TV. I would love to go to a game. But right now, not might not be the best time. Like everybody has a personal choice whether or not they want to actually go. You know, if FC Dallas does open their doors, if I live in Dallas, do I actually want to go? So let me pose this question to you guys. With everything going on right now and the uncertainty that we have, numbers are still climbing. Is that something that if the Columbus crew, we're all Columbus crew fans, if they open up the old, if they open up the doors to Matt Free, would you guys go? I wanna go, I wanna chance it, especially the way it's going now. I mean the numbers are still climbing in the United States. So I mean, even though I would love to see the crew play in person, I'm gonna wait till the till next season and see the outcome of this whole coronavirus stuff. So, I mean, you still get to watch them on TV. I mean, you still get to enjoy them. And they're playing at their home stadium. Who, who doesn't like to watch that? 
I mean, we've already done it with this Orlando thing. We've watched the crew play in Orlando this whole time. So I wouldn't chance it for health reasons and stuff like that. But so that's how I feel. That's a good question, Chuck. You're pulling at the emotions there. It's a good one. I don't want to contradict myself. My mind and my heart, personally, my first gut reaction is, yes, I would go. However, throughout this pandemic, I have learned a lot. I was kind of careless in the beginning of it. I, I will admit that. And it's not so much about what you do for yourself. It's what you do for others in this situation. And that's led me to being more religious with wearing my mask and doing it just because it might make somebody else feel more comfortable. And I know that that sounds silly or doing it just because you have to walk into the restaurant wearing the mask, you know, whatever it is, the rules are the rules. And if wearing a mask is going to help this go away, then I'll do it. And if not going to games is going to help to not spread that, even if the doors are open, then I'm probably not going to go. Yeah, I've proven this before. I will literally drive to Columbus on a drop of, drop of a hat. I'll drive nine, nine and a half hours to go watch the Columbus crew in uh, the MLS Cup finals when they play Portland. I'll, I'll go whenever. My friends want to go, give me a call, I'm going. But right now, uh, I, I literally can't bring myself um, um, to do it. And like Poopa said, I can watch them on TV. And that's been something that I think everybody has become a little bit comfortable with. And honestly, this just popped into my head. The MLS may have troubles. They've already had trouble with getting or getting fans to games. They've had attendance issues with a lot of teams. And that's part of the reason why they wanted to move Columbus to Austin was because, you know, they just didn't have enough fans coming to games. And that's what they want in the MLS. And to be honest with you with this, like I just said, I feel like we've all gotten a little bit comfortable. And I think the MLS might have even – an even bigger problem on their hands with play or with fans coming to games just because, you know, granted, we're all soccer fans. We'd all love to come. There's still going to be people that go if the doors are open, but a lot of people have been humbled by this. And a lot of people have seen its ugly head come to fruition. And I don't think a lot of people are going to be willing to risk it when they can literally sit in the comfort of their own home. Um, the MLS is, they're doing a good job at televising more games. You know, all the games in the first phase are rivalry games. So they're going to get more viewers on TV. Uh, ultimately, it comes down to local markets. And, you know, it, it seems like more and more that they're starting to enforce and make it mandatory for mask use. And like I said earlier, and some of the places where they're going to be playing games in some of the cities, they're, you know, requiring masks, but they're also recommending goggles and a face shield. Me being a healthcare worker, let me tell you, I wear N95 and goggles and all that other shit. You're not going to want to sit there in a soccer stadium hot as hell in September and wear that stuff. Like, you're you're not. For me, I sweat all the time. Mike, yeah, I know you sweat. Poopas, you live in Hawaii. You sweat all the time. Guys, that's not something you're going to want to do. Um, but to be honest with you, the MLS has an obligation here. And I know the Premier League did it, and it was successful. But England did it, and and – Germany did they were ahead of the curve here we're still behind the curve we have we as a society are incredibly irresponsible and we are only enabling the spread of this and MLS coming back is only going to do more of that enable the spread and it just it looks bad 
the optics of this whole thing with the MLS coming back and all the sports coming back is, has been a little bit rough for me. I talk about it all the time at work to employees because they're out getting tested and stuff like that. But these MLS players, you know, grant they're elite soccer players in the United States. The NBA is doing the same thing. All the professional sports across the U.S. They're getting tested damn near on a daily basis, and they're getting their results back within six to 12 hours. They know day of whether they have it or not if they test positive. And, you know, your common American, your common health worker will get tested, and they honestly don't know for two weeks. Uh, so that's that's been my one big thing. And then the other one is just them going even further now with moving back into playing games in local stadiums makes it feel normal. And we've talked about the new normal before. That's not the new normal. And I've praised the bubble. I'll praise it up and down. I don't know that doing another bubble is the answer. I really don't. Play, I, I, I want to see them play in their home markets, but please do not have fans in there, especially for the first six games. You guys had a great proposition. The MLS is giving them a little bit of leeway. They're, you know, basing it off of what the local governments say, but the MLS needs to take some authority here and say, look, this is our league. We're not letting people in these stadiums for the first six games until we know exactly that we, we have the, the framework for exactly how we want this thing to go for the second, third. And so I'm assuming there's like three phases, but for the second and third phase. And another thing I want to bring up is how the NFL is doing it. Like, uh, I don't, I don't know if NFL is allowed uh, fans to come in their stadiums yet for the season, but if you're allow fans to come in, are you going to have players opting out of the MLS season when it resumes? Cause there's been plenty of NFL players that have done it. So, I mean, to them, most of these players, it's more about their families, which I understand highly because that's what the main focus is for these players. So are you going to have – are you going to allow these play, MLS players to opt out if they don't want to play if, you're, if you do allow fans to come in the stadium? So that's another, another big question I have. Yeah, I mean, I think that you, you probably would. I mean, you think about Carlos Vela, who didn't come to the tournament because his wife was pregnant. Now we're returning back to regular season play, and is he going to want to do that with a newborn child? You know, who knows? So I think that's a totally legitimate question. Yeah, we're going to see. I think players now at least that, you know, especially if they know they're going to be playing, at least the one good thing that the MLS is doing with this is keeping it very regional. So to give our listeners just a snapshot of what I'm speaking about regionally, is the Columbus Crew will play FC Cincinnati twice, which is great. I love the Hell's Real Derby. They'll play Chicago twice. Chicago's another rival just north of Ohio. Oh, northwest of Columbus. Um, and they're also playing Philadelphia and who is it? New York City FC. So they're all Midwest market teams. They don't have to travel incredibly far. Um, Granted, they are still traveling, but they're doing so in a more safe manner. They're doing it on chartered flights, chartered uh, bus rides. So that's that's one thing they are doing right. I'm just nervous. Uh, I, I hope it is done in the safest manner possible. I know they want to, you know, get fans back in the stadiums. Everybody wants things to get back normal again. But, you know, if the virus ain't ready, we ain't ready, man. Boys, do you guys have anything else? No. I think I'm good. No, I'm I'm excited for this final. I'm I'm really excited to see if it's going to be the young boys, the new, the new look Orlando Lions, or if it's going to be 
the veterans in Portland Timbers. The old tree stompers, the old tree stomping Portland. Yeah, so just a refresher, Poopus, you picked Portland 2-1. to one. Mike D, you took Portland 1-0. I took Orlando 3-1. So uh, we'll see on Tuesday what, what happens there. I'm excited. Excited for the return to play. First game back after the tournament is Wednesday. We got FC Dallas versus Nashville. So we'll see if Nashville can't capture their first win as an expansion team. Anyways, guys, like they said, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, MLS Gone Wild. Listen to us anywhere you guys listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you guys listen. Uh, give us a rate, review, and subscribe on Apple if you can. It helps us out a lot. We just landed a sponsorship through MLS Aces with at the time Outfitters. 10% off on their website. We'll put the link on our uh, social media pages uh, to get that 10% gone wild. Use that code gone wild. Other than that, guys, you guys stay home, stay safe, stay healthy. Enjoy this, this final between Orlando and Portland on Tuesday. And guys, MLS was back and now MLS is really, really back. Regular season is back, y'all. You guys take care. Enjoy. Stay frosty.